Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please subscribe to the show and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Before we kick things off, a big thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is a mission-first technology company seeking to increase empathy in the world using the internet as a source of knowledge, inspiration, and communication. Quilt AI works on issues including climate change, gender equality, and health across the world. They're headquartered in Singapore with teams in New York, Zurich, London, Delhi, and they believe that the true value of the internet has yet to be seen. The internet has been used to index data, store photos, and conduct e-commerce, but it truly has not yet been used to understand the other. And this is the mission that Quilt AI is on, that of converting the internet into a space of understanding and appreciation. So a big heartfelt thanks to our sponsors. Today, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the Do One Better podcast, Chris Robson, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Living With. Living With is a digital health company. They are also a social enterprise and they look at software and they specifically manage uh, remotely. They do remote condition management, remote patient management. And, um, and Chris is going to talk to us a little bit about his journey, uh, some of the ups and downs of being a social entrepreneur, and also the company itself, the platform, what it does and why it does it. So without further ado, Chris, it's a really great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here and great to talk to you. You've had some really interesting um, people on your show before. So um, yeah, it's a privilege to be uh, to be on there as well. Well, it's great to have you. And um, why don't we start by finding out a little bit about Living With. What's the company all about? Why did you start it? So we're a digital health company and we, as you said, we're focused on remote condition management or remote patient management. And I guess the, the, the guts of what we do is we try and make it, uh, we've created a platform that makes it really easy for a clinic or a clinician to manage any patient with any condition. Because what I've seen as a, as a patient over a long period of time, I've had ulcerative colitis. And more recently, I was actually hospitalized with um, a strange condition, Guillain-Barre syndrome, and I had to learn to walk again. Mm. And one of the things that became clear to me is that, you know, lots of people live like I live with, you know, autoimmune conditions or other conditions. And they often don't know what's going to happen. Uh, there's no sense of how they fit on a continuous basis into into a healthcare system. And there's no sense of them being connected to any form of clinician or doctor and and any form of kind of monitoring. So I used to see my consultant every six to 12 months. And, you know, I could have tons of flares up flare ups between the times when I saw my consultant and, you know, he or she would be oblivious to that. And that just seemed wrong to me and, and madness in many ways. So, you know, I wanted to set up a company that actually did something about this, that um, kind of connected, you know, a patient like me with a with a doctor and, you know, gave more stability to 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 that patient. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to because I recognize how many different conditions there are and some are well known and some aren't well known at all. So in many ways, I wanted to make it really, really easy for a clinician to be able to create a product, an, an app, um, a smart app that a patient could use 
whatever their condition and ultimately that would drive them to have a more predictable and healthier life and so that's kind of that's really what we what we do what we're focused on that's great and in terms of um medical conditions is is um is your technology applicable to individuals who have whatever condition it might be or are you targeting specific ailments so so that's our vision our vision is that we that we will um, we'll cover the whole piece. We'll have literally hundreds and hundreds of products on our platform. Today we have we have 10. We sort of started in the sort of bladder and bowel space. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we developed Squeezy, which is now the UK's seventh highest selling paid app. But so outside of sort of bladder and bowel, we then moved into rheumatology and oncology and more recently into, into COVID recovery. So slowly but surely, we're sort of spreading out across conditions and, and, and that's the aim. But you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And what does the, pl the platform look like? So if, uh, if one is a patient and how, how do you find out about the platform? What's it called? How do you get it? So... Um, the platform is called Living With, like the company, mm -hmm. and um, basically you would, as a patient, you'd find out about it from your clinician or clinic or healthcare provider. And it consists of three parts. There's there's always an app for the patient. There's always a, a, a sort of dashboard or portal for the clinician. And there's a third party portal where, for example, if we're working with a university from a research point of view or with a medical device company, then where they can get the aggregated anonymized data. So typically what happens is you may be talking to or seeing your clinician for whatever condition you're talking about. They mm -hmm. may say, well, Alberto, Actually, I think it might be helpful for you to use this app. It maybe help you understand your condition a bit better, track it a bit better, and it allows me to connect with you and to see how you're doing over time. And um, what we're seeing is that you know that patients love that connectivity. They may not hear from their clinician very often. Just the fact that they are connected um, makes a real difference. And actually, with something like COVID. That's really important where you've got so many, so many patients now who who are suffering all these uh, strange and, and really unclassified side effects. And to be connected to to somebody while they're at home um, makes all the difference. Yeah. Now, in the UK, we have uh, the National Health, uh, the NHS and also private. This platform uh, is available on both. Private and yeah, NHS? we work with we work with both with NHS trusts and uh, with private clinics. But you you know one one of the difficulties of working, um, you know, in the system here in the UK is that you kind of have to you have to sign up with each uh, with each trust or each clinic individually. It's it's right. hard to do a national deal, as it were. I'm with you. And currently, it's only in the UK. You're not uh, operating elsewhere. So we are we're we're in a we're in a couple of other clinics abroad, but not many yet. But we're that's where we're going. You're, you're working on that, great. Yeah, very interesting. You're mentioning about the ability, uh, the platform not only being useful for the patient and for the for the medical uh, practitioner, but also from a research perspective, from a, a a third party academic institution or somebody perhaps trying to run some sort of trial, that they're able to avail themselves of the data. In, a, in an anonymized manner, I suppose, but uh, that they're able to glean uh, insight from from that data. Yeah, and that's critical. So, for example, with COVID recovery, I mean, you're seeing 
the government and governments across the world put a ton of money into research around the condition and how it's manifesting in real time. And so, uh, you know, that is important from a research perspective. So we're working um, actually with UCL mm-hmm. uh, and and Bart's Health and a number of other trusts on, um, you know, on what we're doing. And, and the data we're helping is going to, you know, actually ultimately lead to a better digital product and better digital intervention and and better outcomes for patients over time clearly that's why why we want to do it yeah so help us understand a little bit the nuts and bolts of how this this would work so if a patient uh showed up at uh, the emergency room here in london uh with with covid19 and okay they get treated and thankfully they 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 managed to 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 make it out of the um the emergency room and they're back at home, but they're not fully recovered. So they're, they have this long COVID and, you know, there's various symptoms that are a little bit of a, of a mystery still. What, what does that uh, then look like? So that individual would have an app. T- tell us a little bit about how it actually, the nuts yeah, and bolts. Yeah. So of what, it. what would, what typically happens? And of course it varies because, you know, each, each trust or hospital has, has, you know, most trusts have different clinical pathways. Mm-hmm. And so patients get, taken uh you know in different steps through their journey but the assumption is that once a patient is discharged and assuming that they're you know they're they're sort of triaged and they're not a high risk patient then let's say they're a medium risk patient then they might be prescribed this app to help them track how they're doing it at home give them useful advice and so yeah they'll be invited to to register and log on to the app and then they'll use it as you know as regularly as as they want to but you know definitely weekly ideally daily and the clinician will be looking at this you know certainly on a weekly basis and you know seeing how how that patient is doing mm-hmm. you know are they breathing uh okay um what's their levels of anxiety like you know because there are so many symptoms that you need to track and how as a clinician can I then help you what activities or exercises can I give you or can the app suggest that might help you improve over time because this is not necessarily quick so as you say you may have got out of the worst of it but you may have long long-term symptoms mm-hmm. that need to be managed no, that's really interesting and in terms of the research bit because that's something that I find personally fascinating and I know within the foundations world and the not ng international NGO space a lot of the times um, a it's not easy to to make investments at uh, that are that are substance internationally uh, that are big investments and track exactly how things are progressing so the the monitoring the evaluation the impact assessment um, not only is it difficult sometimes to find good investment opportunities, but also to track them is a little bit of a challenge. So the gold standard, a lot of times, um, so gold standard is the sort of randomized control trial. I'm just curious how one might be able to look at this app as a um, as a means to assist in monitoring uh, an international intervention in some country. Yeah, so so I think it's it, it's a great question. I mean, we are working. I, I can't say who they are formally yet because we haven't signed the contract, but we've we've won a grant award, uh, which is a, 
a formal, um, you know, very leading uh, research grant um, and working with a collaboration of of other organizations, including UCL, who I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, effectively, we will be following research standards as part of doing that. So um, the the product is working both as a real service in in you know in a in a hospital but it will also work at a at a research point of view so patients who would typically have to you know be you have to to do a formal research study you have to go through ethics and make sure that the information you're going to collect is going to be collected in the right way and all of that so all of those types of things we are doing as well to ensure that the the data is collected in the right manner that the patients um, are recruited and managed in the right manner. And that data, you know, the, the, the academic, the clinical academics who I'm working with, you know, that's what they do. This is their bread and butter in terms of ensuring that the type of data that we collect through the app uses clinically validated measures and can be shared and, you know, aggregated with other data sets to that might come internationally let us say or or from other studies around the uk that help to inform um the the wider perspective on what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. you know it's uh, research is a critical part of what we have to do because in the end everything you know if you talk to a clinician they require that our products you know that there is clinical proof that they work that they make a difference so Working with academics, working with other universities is 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 a critical part of what we do uh, in in sort of health technology. Are there any constraints in terms of scalability? So uh, I I imagine the fact that it is a digital platform uh, may, means that in terms of the, the the marginal cost of deployment should be fairly low. Yeah, so it's you know it's cloud based software, so it it could be yeah somebody in Australia could use it. Uh, indeed, we've talked. We have talked to a, a couple of clinics in Australia. We haven't. We haven't got anybody using it yet. But yeah, it could. It can go anywhere in that sense. Mm-hmm. So if somebody in Australia were listening to this, they could just as easily just engage with you. There's not a uh, a huge hurdle to to no. There is right out. No, that's the great thing about technology. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about your background. So I know you've been in technology for for quite a while and you're you're a social entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur and you've done a lot of interesting things in the digital space but here also you find yourself at a stage in your life where you have certain health conditions and you put everything together and you launch this uh really interesting um app uh how easy is it to embark on that to connect the dots and take a thought and a need and actually see it materialize as a technology platform in reality. I'm curious again if somebody's listening to this and they think, well, you know. So I think the, I mean, anybody can have an idea, and indeed we all have ideas all the time. I think, and it is really quite easy these days, much easier than it was, let's say, 20 years ago, to start a business uh, and to use the internet, for example, to be the driver of how you distribute and sell what you do. Uh, I think 
the the challenge is really to to have something that scales so to have something that people are prepared to pay money for and that you can then sell to a lot of people because ultimately that's what drives the success of your organization and yeah i mean i've 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 started i think eight different businesses in my time and and some have been really successful and and some haven't and i think that's the that's the kind of the nature of the beast but certainly in 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 technology having a clear view of who your audience is and how you're going to how are you going to provide something to them specifically that they'll pay for that does something better than something else that they could buy is is the name of the game. Yeah. Now, in your case, then we're looking at business know-how and you have an MBA from London Business School, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. But you don't necessarily know how to code. No, I definitely don't know how to code. Right. Um, if only if only I did, but I don't. But yeah, you 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 know, different people do different um, things in any business, and so it's you you have to find you know good uh, developers or engineers who you can work with who can provide that resource. Mm -hmm. um, Without revealing too much of your internals, do you do you get your coding and all of that done here in the UK? Do you, have you found it that it's that's more cost effective or better to do it elsewhere? Yeah, no, we we do do it all in the UK. We have out, you know, in my time, I've outsourced to India, the Ukraine, and various other places. Uh, I think it's it's kind of horses for courses. There's no right answer to this question, but it isn't it isn't necessarily much easier or much more cost effective in the long run, in the round, to to go to go, you know, to the other side of the world, as it were, to get your development done. Mm -hmm. Did it take um? The journey itself from from having that initial thought of connecting the dots and saying, look, I have this health condition. I can see how this platform could benefit uh, others and uh, to the journey to making that a, a reality. How long did that take from from that initial thought and also getting the funding? For, for us, it was it, it was a, a longish journey because, in fact, we tested out. We would I was doing something else. Um, I have an educational technology business and we were we were doing that. And then actually we, we saw this opportunity in healthcare and we launched uh, we launched an app, you know, around incontinence, which I mentioned earlier uh, called Squeezy. And that became, in fact, the top paid medical app in the UK. And from there, we then uh, we then started building the platform to connect it to the clinician. And, you know, the whole idea of living with came 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 to life. And, you know, that's taken that's taken several years, uh, although the business has only ha has only really been going for 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 two, three years. Right. Right. Well, that's maybe a little bit discouraging, right? If you're listening to it and you have this sense of urgency, and you want to get something. Well, I think it, I, I think, you know, people, you know, there's, there are a lot there are lots. You can start a business in, you know, in a month. Uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't you can you, get, you can set up a company, you know, immediately. The the point is that people tend to believe that you can start and then sell and exit a company within a couple of years. And in general, in general, most people don't. If you look at the stats of successful companies, actually, they tend to be more like five to 10 years, mm -hmm. not two to three years. So, you know, what I say is about how you build a business that really has um, has legs and has stamina and 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 can you know become you know go from being a startup without revenue to making revenue to making a profit 
to exiting take generally takes time. We all hear about the outliers who who do it in you know in in you know a year or so, but but they're the exception rather than the rule. And another key point is whether you you take funding. So we've we've done three rounds of angel funding, mm-hmm. and um, but we we haven't. Uh, we haven't taken VC or institutional money yet. Um, you know that that's maybe another step on the on the road. But uh, you know I've done different things at different times, and there's there is no right answer for this. Yes, yes, yes. And have you found that? Um, I mean, it's a little bit of a digression, but not entirely. And have you found that the the age uh, element is a component or a constraint? So you, you're not in your twenties anymore. Uh, you're, you know, a little bit farther along without dating you too much, but you're, you know, you're. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, I definitely experience ageism. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, people, people sort of expect that entrepreneurs are going to be 25 yeah. and, or maybe even 20 or 16 now. But uh, I think the, you just have to, you have to roll with that. Uh, that is just the way that, the way that life is. I may not like it. But uh, the the one the one beauty about being older is that you you may you may well have you know be wiser and um, have more expertise than um, than somebody who's only twenty five. You may have made more mistakes and you and you've learned from them. So uh, you know there's there's it there's no right or wrong again in in um, in age. It's just about getting going, yeah. creating something and and then getting a customer and then going from there. And if you've got a if you have a vision of where you want to go, then that makes life a lot easier. Yeah, and I uh, I do believe the statistics are such that, uh, in actual fact, uh, it tends to be the older entrepreneurs who who tend to have higher success rate with their entrepreneurial ventures than the younger ones. Yeah, I think I think that is that is true. Uh, you get well, you just had more battle scars. So you, uh, you tend to be able to navigate the system a little better. And, um, with the, with the exception of our friend, Charlie Dellingpole, who I does very well. Yeah. He knocks them out. And so there, he really is at the, at the other side of the spectrum on that. Yeah. One. Whatever he does is, is the Midas touch, which I, I think we should have him on, uh, at some point as well. And uh, what I mean, what are you looking for in, in, in the next 10 years? So what, what would success look like to you if we're having a coffee in the next 10 years? What is it that you would ideally love to see happen with living with or with the platform and whatever guys it, it sort of, what's the, whatever shape it takes? Yeah, I mean, our, our, you know, my vision for the, for the company has always been a, a world where any clinician can can basically configure their own smart medical app in minutes to support any patient with any condition to to live a healthier life. So in many ways, what I'd love to see is that we get to a place where, you know, our platform is being used internationally and and it is really easy for, for you know, for doctors without any knowledge of coding, as you asked me earlier, to be able to, to create something that, that can help every individual patient. And that goes back to what I said to you earlier about why I'm, I got involved in, in, in doing this, why I wanted to do this is because every patient's in a different, has a, you know, they're in a different place and they need their, their own support. And in a world where technology has really revolutionized so many other industries, we're still relatively early in the days of, you know, technology revolutionizing healthcare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I dabbled a little bit with databases and I'm not a coder, but I remember seeing some platforms out there that basically enabled you to drag and drop. So what is it that you want? You know, how, how do you want the data to behave? And you drag and drop and everything looks very clean and, and crisp on the screen. And in actual fact, the, the result is very good. So I'm able to, to, to give certain instructions on the platform that I would not have been able to do um, simply by coding. I'm just curious, you envisioned that? Is that how you sort of think um, a... Well, a I think it's a combination of things. So I think it's a combination of the ease of use, either for a clinician or a doctor or for a patient, as well as the smart technology that underpins the platform. So, you know, what you what you want to do, and we're working on some of this in in rheumatoid arthritis actually okay we've, we've got the ability now we've 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 worked with in fact the university of bath um and the ruh to create a model a predictive model that can predict um the outcomes of a patient over a period of one to eight weeks in advance and when you start to be able to could create that predictive technology. Now, it's not fully clinically validated yet, but when you start to have that technology and you can really see, okay, so it looks like you may go into a flare, you know, in a period of time, then you can do something about it and you can manage it. So if you can combine an easy interface um, from a user point of view with that smart predictive technology, then you have a very powerful piece of kit that can make a real difference to, to patients and doctors. Yeah. The the foundations world, the NGO world, so a lot of the times there might be an idea that comes around for a specific type of intervention in a given country and you look at the numbers and it's a lot of scale uh, required and sometimes you need to tweak things because it's going to be very specific. Would somebody be able to come to you and say, look, Chris, we love what the platform is doing. Um, we are looking at uh, a pretty s strong intervention in a specific country in sub-Saharan Africa, for instance. Uh, we need to do X, Y, and Z. We actually need something that's similar to what you're doing, but slightly different. Would that sort of conversation be something that um, that you'd be open to? I mean, can, yeah, can... no, that's what we do. I mean, in fact, probably you know we haven't necessarily got to the the perfect user interface yet that that I'm dreaming about and that you may be dreaming about. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what we have got is the a very modular platform, the ability to create new products on our platform very easily. So, you know, if somebody, you know, and we, we do literally have companies coming to us and organizations saying, can you do that? So that's our, that's our bread and butter in many ways. Right. And ideally, I guess, if you could do it internationally, then you start getting into uh, just a, a broader consumer base. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, the, there are other healthcare companies that, um, you know, that one could see that's working internationally. Some are working in Africa and you can see where where that technology can really have a much greater impact because, you know, so many people have phones. They may not actually have necessarily a, a doctor or a hospital anywhere near them, but they, they will have a phone. So, you know, technology that can work on a phone can um can revolutionize the way that people get treated and looked after um in in different parts of the world hmm. you should connect with uh John jonathan roster who runs world child cancer um he was the guest of ours last year and they do the uk-based charity but they, they do a lot of work in sub-saharan africa 
helping families who, who have kids who, who, have, who are suffering from cancer. And a lot of times, geographically speaking, you have a hospital that's 500 kilometers away from where you live. And even basic things, just like getting to the hospital is a challenge. And then having doctors who are assessing things. And um, again, I'm just thinking how one might be able to deploy this sort of technology platform to benefit, in this case, families who are suffering from that sort of uh, that reality. Well, I think you... I think you absolutely can. I mean, at a more humble level, you know, even in even in England, you know, we we're working with a trust where, you know, you have patients who might have to come in for a, a for a six monthly appointment for their rheumatoid arthritis and they might have to drive an hour and a half. Mm. and they might be elderly and you know that's like a whole day out and, sure. and and they may not they may actually be in remission at that stage so it's a waste of it's a waste of time and if you can if you can save that time then you're improving the patient's quality of life as well as saving time for the doctor and and that's got to be good because then you can make that time for those patients who really need the help mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no exactly and i'm just thinking thinking out loud here but a lot of the times, if you have a kid who needs to travel 500 kilometers to go to a hospital, uh, a lot of times it's not just that 500 journey. It's not even the whole day. It's like you got to stay overnight. You got to have an, you know, you got to travel with an adult. You got to, you got to do a few things. If you can sort of minimize the need or make sure that those visits are as, are as fruitful as possible when they do happen, um, again, I could see how this could be really, really interesting. Yeah. No, I agreed totally. So how did you? Um, Give us a little bit of the entrepreneurial journey. So you did your, you did your MBA, and then you wanted to finance, and then entrepreneurship, or how did that? Actually, I, I started my first business at Oxford University when I when I went to Afghanistan many many years ago. But that was a kind of non profit business to report on the war there. But um, I have, I guess I've created a, a number of businesses. Oh yeah, after I went to business school, I got into the internet and um, I built and floated a digital agency. And then co-founded a um, a company called, which became Inc. Publishing, the world's largest publisher of in-flight magazines. And then I ran a strategy and innovation consultancy because I loved innovating. Um, and 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 then I've created a number of other businesses since. Some have worked and some haven't. So it's yeah, it's. It's it's been fascinating, and and I think to what you said earlier, that ability to create, to create, to have an idea and turn it into a business that makes a difference to people is is, is an amazing feeling. When it goes right, it is it's truly one of the great feelings. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now I ask guests, uh, I always ask guests, what's that key takeaway that they'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to the episode? In this case, though, let me let me narrow that a little bit and say, what's the key takeaway you'd love for any of our listeners who are interested in starting up some sort of social enterprise or being social entre- entrepreneurs? What's the key takeaway that you'd love for those folks to keep in mind? I, I think find something that really, really you're you're really passionate about that you can see would make a difference to you, but would also make a difference to somebody else. And 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 think about that, and think about how uh, how you could how you could create a business that 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 does that. So really have a clear have a clear view of who that who that user is and why it's going to make a difference to them. 
be as precise as you can about that. Mm. Very well said. So before we wrap up, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, what's the website address? Just search for Living With or is there... It's livingwith.health. Okay, great. Perfect. Well, you've been listening to Chris Robson, founder and chief executive officer of Living With. And uh, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you on the Do One Better podcast today. I know we could easily have a conversation that goes on for another hour, but um, that'll have to be for, for your return visit. Well, Alberto, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute delight, and um, I look forward to talking some more. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic to think more about sustainability and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. Mm -hmm.